challenging passage. As I thought about it, the, the thoughts that came to my mind was prove it. A common command question, something that we hear or think about every day. And certainly in my experience, every day at least one GP consultation starts with, Doc, is it true that? And one example that I hear quite a lot is, Doc, is it proved that red wine is good for your heart? What do we think? I hope so. Who, who thinks red wine has been proven scientifically? Who's with Owen? <laughs> yeah. Who thinks it's not proven scientifically to be good for your heart? The minority. Well, I really hate to, to burst your bubble or break the glass. It isn't proven. In moderation, red wine may not cause you harm. Sorry, Owen. Research is still ongoing because in the skin of red grapes, there's all sorts of good stuff that they are hoping might prove that it is proven to be good for you. But red wine is certainly not scientifically proven to be good for you. So, Owen, it's really important to know what has been proved to be true. Seeing the truth can set us free from so many mistakes of the past. And that question, prove it, is a key thrust of that reading that we just listened to. Look down with me, please. It's a really exciting passage. It's well worth keeping your Bibles open. Um, if you've got an activity sheet, it's well worth just getting an adult to sidle up to you. I've highlighted it in yellow there for you. Let's look at nine, chapter 9, verse 39 together. 9.39, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. And children, just listen carefully to hear what the problem is that Jesus says that has proven to blind us. Since chapter 5, Jesus has been claiming that he is God, the Lord Almighty, Jesus is the promised judge who will end the world's problem, the problem of sin, sin, our ignoring God, sin which blinds us to our guilt and to the punishment from God that we deserve, blinds us to our need of the Lord Almighty to rescue us. Now, in our passage, John 9, the religious, the religious experts, the Pharisees, form a court to judge if this claim is true. The Pharisees throw down the gauntlet to Jesus and say, prove it. Take a look with me this morning through John 9 and decide for yourself. We're going to start in verses 1 to 4 where the blind see. Chapter 9 verses, sorry, chapter 9 verses 1 to 7, the blind see. Verses 1 to 7, the blind see. Uh, we start in verse 1. Do you remember that story? Jesus stops to gaze at a man, a man blind from birth. And his disciples, if you see, they completely misread the mood. They see punishment for sin in Jesus' gaze. Just a little hint at the start that like all of us, the disciples also have blind, sinful hearts. Verse 2 gives us a window into the disciples' hearts. 
This man has been born blind, and so he can't see Jesus, the promised Lord. But Jesus has been saying that sin is the barrier to seeing that he's the Lord Almighty. But, but this man can't have sinned before he's born, so the disciples start to suggest, Jesus, perhaps you need to just put an addendum into your argument. That was it his parents' sin? Verse 3. Jesus gaze at the blind man it wasn't punishment. The gaze was loving compassion. But as we go on to see, this physically blind man is going to be Jesus' physical evidence that he is God come to save us from our sin. The miraculous physical evidence we see Jesus do helps us to believe the spiritual work that we're going to see Jesus do in these verses. Did you spot in verse 3? Jesus is prophesying. Jesus tells them God's plan before it happens. Otherwise, is it really likely that Jesus makes a lucky guess that this man will see and his optic nerve is just about to regrow, his retina is just going to start receiving light and he's going to suddenly start to interpret images that he's never been seen before? As you go on to verse 4, Jesus carries on prophesying, but not just the immediate, but Jesus says, verse 4, night is coming when no one can work. Now, night comes when the sunlight goes out. Jesus is predicting his death, where Jesus takes our darkness on himself. Jesus came to die as a substitute in our place so that we can be free from guilt. Jesus heads into the night so that, verse 41, we can have the hope of being free from the guilt of sin. Verse 41, Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you see, your guilt remains. Now, as I was reading it, I was thinking, well, yeah, Jesus prophesied, but that sounds like fiction without a miraculous sign of evidence. Miraculous evidence, enough so that we humble ourselves to believe that Jesus is the Lord Almighty. And that evidence is verses 6 and 7. Verse 6, after saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now, it's not a big cellar in boots, spit, mud and washing your eyes to cure blindness. See, faith in Jesus is not a leap in the dark. He really is the Lord our God. Jesus prophesies, Jesus acts, the man responds in faith, and a man born blind comes back miraculously seeing for the first time in his life. If you're a Christian here today, Jesus has, has opened the eyes of your sinful heart. But Christians, aren't we too often tempted to squint when we look at Jesus? Aren't we tempted to look at Jesus through sin-tinted sunglasses? If we give in to that sort of temptation, our Christianity fades into a sort of mystic mascot that I cling on to 
when I make the time or I feel the need. Christians, come to Jesus to cure your squint and let Jesus help you to take off those sin-tinted sunglasses. Engage daily with the biblical Lord Almighty. Let Jesus transform your life. Children, when you get on to page three, a little bit ahead, the maze that you've got there, try having a go at it with your eyes closed before you have, you've done it already, and try and then do it with your eyes open. Jesus helps us to open our eyes so that we can live a fulfilled life for him. It is the difference between trying a maze with your eyes closed and your eyes open. If you wouldn't call yourself a Christian here, thank you for joining us. Please keep coming. And this passage urges you to keep engaging with the biblical evidence for Jesus. A lot of us here will testify that that evidence is life transforming. So far we've seen 9, 1 to 7, the blind see. But three quarters of the evidence about Jesus is still to come in verses 8 to 41. And Jesus isn't even there for most of it. We've seen the physical evidence so that we will believe the spiritual work we're about to see, both in the Pharisees and in the newly sighted blind man. So, verses 8 to 41. The sighted are blind. Again, let me read verse 938 to you again. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, which we've already seen, and those who see will become blind. And those who see will become blind. The sighted are blind. Just let me jump in the middle for a second there. Verse 22, did you spot the Pharisees have already decided to reject Jesus, whatever the evidence? Verse 22, the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah will be put out of the synagogue. So just remember as we look at these verses, they they remain blind to the evidence of a man born physically blind and the spiritual miracle of seeing that previously blind man seeing that Jesus is Lord. Uh, I don't know if you picked it up as it was read. The more the friends, the parents, the blind man forced the evidence on them, the more fiercely opposed they become. In our remaining time, we're going to focus on Jesus' warning in 938. Those who see will become blind. Sin blinds us to the truth about God. And we're just going to pick out, quickly, five sinful attitudes which can blind us to the truth. And as Christians, please don't be put off. We need these verses. We need these verses to humble our sinful hearts, to drive us to Jesus our Lord, who can cure our sinful squint, who can take off those sin-tinted sunglasses and help us to miraculously live a life of faith. As you recognise these sinful attitudes we're going to look at, maybe you might think of ones that particularly apply to you, and I really hope that you might be able to discuss that with friends over refreshments afterwards. And children on your sheets, 
you should have a drawing for each attitude and a question to answer. First sinful attitude is verses 8 to 12. No, Jesus, no. Verse 8, the neighbours are witnesses that this man was born blind. That The blind man himself, he's dancing around saying, it's me, it's me, I can see. But some in the crowd say, no, miracles are impossible. Must be a lookalike. Not possible, as you can't answer. Verse 10, how did Jesus do it? Verse 12, where did Jesus go? Now hopefully you can see that John is trying to help you see how foolish the crowd are being. The whole point is Jesus, to prove who he is, has got to do inexplicably God-like miraculous things to prove that he's God. The sensible question is, is the evidence there that it is true or not? Did you recognise that attitude in us? No, Jesus, that's impossible. Personally, I do. My sinful attitude is more related, well, it's not so related to questions of what Jesus did in the past, more I struggle, as I think the crowd are here, with what Jesus is doing now. So maybe if you're younger, this might sound familiar as an attitude. Jesus, love my parents, friends, sister, brother. Have you met him, her, then? That's not possible. Maybe for those a bit older. Jesus, marry a Christian. Have you met the Christians I know? I've probably just offended everybody in the room. Please forgive me. Just, I hope you start to recognise that sort of sinful attitude. No, Jesus, that's impossible. But surely as you remember what Jesus has just done and what Jesus is doing, Jesus is my Lord, even when my life seems impossible, and I don't have all the answers. Our second simple attitude is in verses 13 to 17. No, Jesus, I don't want to. Look with me at verse 13. Here the Pharisees enter. Their rules list what they don't want to do on a Sunday, or their equivalent of a Sunday. But when you think about it, isn't it a little foolish to tell God what we should be doing on a Sunday, rather than listening to what he says we should do? But the Pharisees want to stick their own way, and it blinds them from looking at the truth in front of them. And that truth is that God knows what is best for us far more than we could ever know. The truth is that God knows far more than we ever could what is best for us. A society says everyone should choose what they want, who I have sex with, how fluid my gender or my identity is, what time I should get up on a Sunday, or if I should get up on a Sunday to come to church. Jesus helps me to see that my sinful nature is disastrous at choosing what is good for me. Jesus helps us to see what is best for us more than we ever could. Third sinful attitude, verses 18 to 23. No, Jesus, I can't. These are hard verses. Verses 18 to 23 describe the parents blinded by opposition and suffering. And I think we can all feel for them. His parents know that their son was born blind. They know that he's been healed. But surely we feel for them. 
because they won't name Jesus in verse 22, because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Ironic, isn't it, that society demands we tolerate everyone's view, but then won't tolerate any evidence of one truth. Christians, the Bible is clear. We will face opposition living humbly with Jesus as Lord. Living with Jesus as the only way will lead to opposition and suffering. And my sinful nature wants the easy life and I want everyone to like me. But having said that, it really is my Christian experience that despite the opposition and suffering, the Christian life is the fulfilled life. Remember, Jesus who healed the blind also defeated death and rose to eternal life. Jesus' life of suffering is the only path through death to a fulfilled life eternal. Fourth sinful attitude is in verses 24 to 34. Verses 24 to 34. No, Jesus, I'm angry. As the Pharisees see the growing faith of the blind man, it's incredible, but they get increasingly angry. John holds up the Pharisees as a mirror to us, a mirror that exposes our sinful secrets that are painful to expose. And as it does that, we too are tempted to get angry, too angry to see the truth. But remember that blind man. Jesus had the power to help him. Jesus has the power to help us in our pain and our sin. If you think about it, Jesus cost that blind man everything. That blind man was rejected, thrown out of society, no hope of a job. But the truth of this passage is that Jesus gave him everything. Friends, as the cost of Christianity bites, let's help each other. Help each other to bring our pain to Jesus, who miraculously helps us live for the truth. Last, fifth sinful attitude, that's in verses 35 to 41. Very sad. No, Jesus, I don't want you. No, Jesus, I don't want you. Do you see the Pharisees reject both Jesus' right to diagnose their guilt and to remove their guilt. Down the centuries, Christians have celebrated the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do a little later on. The Lord's Supper is the evidence to our miraculous Christian faith in Jesus. Jesus transforming our sinful hearts that we are helpless to do on our own. John 9 says, that is the evidence for you that one day, Jesus will return and judge just as he does in verse 35 and carry out God's judgment. Later on, as you reflect on the Lord's Supper, reflect on the evidence of John 9. There are questions on the word sheet you might want to think about. Having reflected on John 9, let me ask you this question. What will Jesus' judgment be on your guilt. Let me pray.